All right. I'm here with Andrew Lacey from Prenuvo. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Michael, it's really great to be here. So for the listeners, this is could be one of the most important podcasts I've ever recorded. And I say that without hype because I have discovered a technology that is of the best I've ever encountered on diagnosing dis-ease in its earliest stages. And as many of my listeners know, uh, my father, unfortunately, uh, battled with prostate cancer before um, developing dementia. And so I had an acute concern as it relates to uh, both cancer and cognitive decline. And I've been in search for tools that would help uh, with very early stage diagnostics. And to be frank, Prenuvo is the best I've found. I, I learned about it through a couple of, of mutual friends. And so I actually reached out to them and uh, just did a test, was so elated with the results that I asked if we could get the CEO on. And Andrew, here you are. I'm, I'm very grateful you uh, agreed to come on. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I love talking about preventative health. Um, I got involved myself simply because our health system is so tremendously reactive. I think of the close to $4 trillion we spend every year, about 3% of it is on preventive care. And uh, like yourself, I was on a bit of a journey to figure out, well, who out there can tell me something about my health early enough that I can do something about it? And that led me to my co-founder, who's a tremendously talented biomechanical uh, biomechanical engineer, so an MRI physicist who then went on to become a radiologist who's been... Uh, who was scanning these patients in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, I was blown away and said, this has to be everywhere. So we've been working to expand as much as we can in North America. Yeah, I mean, I will say people reached out. I, I had posted the day I did the scan. I kind of posted a little bit on social and the amount of interest was was actually quite overwhelming. Um, and I think, I think there are a lot of people out there that are really curious about both the emerging technology and and frankly, as you said, we do not have a healthcare system that's oriented around prevention, unfortunately. And there are more inputs th that we are confronting than than ever before in human history, as it relates to toxicity and and obviously stress. Uh, Terence McKenna has a quote that you know the world has changed more since 1992, basically the advent uh, of the internet age, uh, than it did in the previous thousand years. And so we have a a human biology, I think, that's oriented towards you know, our thousands, multi-thousands of, of years of, of evolution, yet yet we are now in kind of a brave new world where we're confronted with so many inputs, um, chemicals, et cetera, that, that, we, that the human biology has never really experienced. And that can be, I think, really challenging and also, um, frankly, uh, quite negative for, for, for humanity. But then there's the flip side, which is that we're also evolving technologies like Prenuvo, that enable us to get such a, a, an insight, right? Like to truly look under the hood at what's going on in our bodies. Can you, for the listeners' benefit, just explain exactly what the pre-nouveau technology is and how it's an evolution from sort of previous diagnostic tools? Yeah, so to be honest, it, I have to go back a long time to talk about previous di diagnostic tools. In fact, the First folks that um, started doing preventative checks were the Egyptians back 2500 BC. And they used to uh, lie the patient down and actually push and prod on the abdomen to see if they could figure out if there was anything, if there was any cancerous tumors um, sort of under the skin. And you can imagine that that was not a very sensitive uh, technique. 
uh, by the time, you know, something would have to be a good melon size before you could really feel it. And I find it quite funny that that technique called palpation is still the technique that we're using. I mean, imagine how far the world has come, how many, uh, you know, revolutions we've gone through, industrial, computer, um, biotech, and and so on. And the the primary technique that we're using in in, in primary care practice for um, for many cancers and diseases is you know, push on the stomach and hope that you can feel something. Um, about 20 years ago, then people started to use imaging techniques to see if we could learn more. And that started with CT. And CT is, for, for your listeners, is an x-ray that basically spins around and um, is very, very good at looking at bones, but not so great at looking at soft tissue. So it tended to miss things and it tended to, um, or it might see things, but not be able to characterize them. Then along came MRI. Uh, MRI is very good for soft tissue, um, which is where you do get cancer and disease, uh, but is a very slow technology. And so, um, and so uh, people that were experimenting with it really had two options. One was do something that wasn't diagnostic quality and you would suffer the same problems that you have with CT or, um, or put someone in an MRI machine for something like three hours. And they actually do do that in teaching hospitals um, for people that have, for young kids that have these very uh, horrible cancer predisposition syndromes. They, in fact, give them general anesthetic and put them in an MRI for, for three hours. Um, but obviously that's not going to work. No one wants to be in one of those machines for that long. And so the world was really waiting for an approach that could be both um, clinical diagnostic quality, but still be fast enough that it's comfortable for patients. And and again, this is where my partner comes in. He's an MRI physicist. He understands better than anyone how to optimize the hardware and the software and increasingly the AI to be able to put someone in an MRI machine and in one hour collect as enough images to do both anatomical and functional imaging of the entire body at diagnostic quality. And when you do that, you really can resolve a lot of cancers and diseases quite early. Yeah, I think that that's something I'd, I'd love to just sort of mention off the bat is, is you guys can test for over 500 different uh, diseases um, early stage and cancers, as it was explained to me, is, you know, most oftentimes, uh, you know, someone won't find out about a cancer until stage three or stage four. And it's not, as I understand it, and please correct me if I'm wrong, you know, a cancer could be in stage one for three, four years. Uh, and, and then once it, but once it hits three or four, it moves pretty expeditiously. So it's like a, it's like a rapidly increasing graph. And unfortunately, as it gets into stage three and stage four, the mortality uh, risk is, is quite high. It's, it's pretty much deadly. And, and oftentimes, uh, the diagnosis is there's nothing we can do for you. Um, whereas if you catch something in stage one, it's eminently more treatable. Uh, and and so the challenge is it seems like it's very unlikely that most people will get diagnosed given our healthcare system with something at stage one uh, because uh, it's just not how our, our medical system is oriented. But you guys have a technology which I imagine will, will even get better. I mean, it's already uh, top of class, but Given the fact that you're incorporating uh, AI, I, I think it, it's. I imagine it's going to be evolve into, into becoming a, a, a more and more profound instrument. But as it stands, it's of the. I mean, probably the best I've ever ex experienced in regards to its diagnostic capabilities. I mean, how can you talk about the different types of diseases? I mean, for me, my acute interest was cancer and cognitive decline. But can you talk about some some of the the diseases that it can catch early stage? Yeah, so um, 
I mean, let's start with the things that are potentially life-threatening. Um, and those are largely, uh, I mean, there's a long tail of things, but the two biggest categories are cancers and various types of aneurysms. Mm. Uh, cancers, what's really, really interesting is cancer is something that about 50% of us will have in our lives. And it's a dirty word. I mean, it's a horrible word to hear that C word. And the, and the part of the reason why it's horrible is because the health system catches cancer very late where it becomes quite difficult to manage. Uh, at Pranuvo, uh, around 95% of the cancers that we do catch are stage one. So just to support this sort of the thing that you mentioned before, you know, cancer can spend an awful amount of time at stage one and catching it at that stage is really potentially a lifesaver. A good example of this is pancreatic cancer. Um, uh, there was a study out of Hopkins uh, two or three years ago where they looked at people that had died of pancreatic cancer and they were able to determine that the cancer on average was in the body for seven years. But the time from diagnosis to death was about four months. And so uh, we were catching these things very, very, very late. But the window of detection at stage one may well be something like three or four years. So, and anecdotally, that's what we're seeing at Pranuvo in that the cancers that we are catching um, overwhelmingly are stage one cancers. Um, we find that we find cancer in somewhere between three to four and a half percent of people, depending on the age and ethnicity and location where we're scanning people. Um, the second category, aneurysm, uh, we look for cerebral aneurysm. So this is aneurysms in the brain. We look for um, uh aneurysm in the aortic arch so it's called an aortic aneurysm and we also look for abdominal aneurysms and we are finding those in anywhere from one to two percent of patients now not all aneurysms develop and end up bursting but depending on your risk factors and the size of those aneurysms um, being able to identify those and potentially do something about them can be a true lifesaver so those are some of the things that we're seeing that are really um having potentially a huge positive impact on people's lives. And then beyond that, um, there's a whole list of um, conditions that we like to think of as conditions that can really affect your health span. So things that, um, you know, things that we can learn um, about how your lifestyle is impacting your under underlying physiology of your body. And these things might be, uh, for example, um, what, you know, uh, small vessel ischemia and its effect on your brain and organs. It might be fatty liver disease. Um, it might be uh, chronic kidney disease. And oftentimes patients that come in um, may only have mild symptoms or might, may not have symptoms at all. And just knowing about this means that they can really um, make a positive, I guess, trajectory change to their underlying health. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to delve more deeply into that. I, I can speak to like cognitive decline and dementia. Uh, when I went deep into the research, what's what's often not talked about is that the onset of, of some of the first symptoms with certain part, certain forms of cognitive decline actually start about 30 years before the first symptom. And uh, there's a, a great doctor named Dr. Dale Bredesen who talks about sort of the different causalities being sort of like holes in a roof. And when, and when those holes get big enough, then that, that's when the roof collapses. And But even if you have a genetic uh, predisposition, you can, you know, through diet and lifestyle, dramatically decrease um, the likelihood that you would ever uh, have that cognitive decline onset. And so I feel like 
that not only are these tools of prevention so profound, but they give us guidance into how we can, in fact, evolve our diet and lifestyle, our, our epigenetics, if you will, such that we can dramatically increase both the length as well as the quality of our, of our life. And I, I'd love for you to delve a little bit more deeply into this distinction between um, lifespan and health span, because I think you know, I just saw uh, Dr. Mark Hyman, who's been on the show, um, talk about, for example, he's 63, but his that's his chronological age, but his biological age is actually 42. And I think many people listening who have never heard of this distinction would be like, whoa, what does that mean? Can you talk a little bit about the, the difference between lifespan and health span? Well, it's not the easiest thing to do on a, on a podcast, but I guess you can think of a, um, if you can imagine like a graph where one axis is how long you live. And the other axis is how much you enjoy life, how much you're able to enjoy the life that you have. Uh, lifespan is about living longer, but um, these days uh, our reactive health system is getting pretty good at making people live longer, but that might be in a hospice setting or, you know, in a wheelchair. Um, so they may not have a tremendous quality of life, whereas uh, health span is really about um, increasing the quality of life that you have at, you know, at, at, at every year of the life that you have. And so, you know, the perfect uh, life would be one where you, you know, maybe die at 100, but, you know, it's a very precipitous decline at 100, you know, leading up to that moment, you're still playing golf in your 80s and uh, being able to walk and be mobile and uh, have great cognitive function. So that's, I think, that's the distinction. So um, to do that, really, you want to make, you know, and this is where Pranua can help is for sure identify anything about your health that might blindsight you like a cancer or an aneurysm. Um, and there are other tests as well that I would recommend to look at cardiac function as well so that you don't um, have a heart attack in your 50s or 60s. But then um, beyond that is really just understanding how the way we live our life affects um, our health span. Mm. And that, an example of this, um, spine health. So uh, for patients that come into our facilities, we do very detailed measurements of curve angles of every vertebrae in the spine. And the reason we do that is we want to understand how the spine, which changes with age, um, is changing in each individual patient relative to their biological age. And what's been super insightful has been just how our populations look quite different in the places in which we image. So people in Vancouver tend to have much better, Vancouver, Canada tend to have much better um, spines, for example, than folks in Silicon Valley. And the hypothesis here is that we're spending a lot of time in front of screens, uh, in front of mobile phones, and we're seeing, um, you know, 20 year olds that have a spine that looks like they're 40. And why is this information important, even if you're not feeling any pain, is that you want to live a life today that ensures that you are still mobile in your 70s and 80s, because mobility and lifespan is just so closely related. Once you lose mobility, you die. Mm. Yeah, that's that's an extraordinarily powerful point. Um, there's another great doctor, uh, Peter Atia, who you may be familiar with, and and one of the things I love about the way he talks about longevity is, you know, a lot of us think about uh, in a, in almost a singular fashion, sort of how long we're going to live, but we don't think about that that exact uh, quality, which is quality of life. And you know, he he's like, you know, how do, what kind of exercises am I doing today so that at 80, 90 years old, I can get on the floor with my grandchild or I can pick up my grandchild. 
And that those are the kinds of distinctions we oftentimes don't think about, right? But it's not about like how much could I bench? You know, that that might be important to you in, in the peak of your athletic career. But when you're, you know, approaching your 70s, 80s, I, I see this with my mother, you know, she can no longer uh, pick up uh, my niece, you know, my two-year-old niece. And those kinds of things impact quality of life, right? It impacts, you know, how much time she can spend with her and the, and the nature of that time. And I think, think for us to think through how the quality, like the quality with which we want to live this life and set ourselves up to win, to optimize for quality, I think is is so important. Um, there's one of the this is a sort of a greater filter, but another distinction I love is, you know, societally, I think we're 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 programmed to optimize for wealth, right? Like save for a certain period of time, then you retire, right? Now, what people oftentimes don't talk about is your quality of life after 65, especially if you've been working nonstop and have, have, have done so at the consequence of your health is not quite the same, right? Uh, uh, Steve Jobs would have given up all of his billions uh, for probably one more year of life, right? One more year of healthy life. And so there's optimizing for wealth, but then there's also optimizing for fulfillment and for health. And I think to me, you know, there's a famous quote from the Buddha, which is basically of all wealth, health is greatest and best. And I just feel like for us to optimize for our health, it's, 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 it's the most important thing. Like when I, when I, I'll, I'll be frank, when I was waiting for my test results, I was really nervous. Um, you know, I mean, let's, let's speak transparently. Like I never looked under the hood with that degree of, um, you know, with that degree of clarity, I haven't always lived. I mean, I'm, I'm very healthy now, but I haven't always, you know, when I was 18, 19, I, I enjoyed, uh, you know, I enjoyed going out a bit and, and, uh, haven't always lived, uh, with, with peak health as my top priority. So I was I was concerned. Um, well, what was what was powerful is uh, one. Obviously, it's a very comfortable context to go in and, and just be able to watch a you know a bit of a Netflix show, and then uh, and then two, you, you know, you, your team had a nurse practitioner reach out to me, and I opened up the scan, and it was like so comprehensive. And gratefully, the things I was profoundly nervous about, principally cancer and cognitive decline. Um, we're not to be concerned about. So I'm I'm incredibly grateful. So the peace of mind that that gave me was incredible. What did come up, which I did not expect at all, I wasn't even thinking about, was this spine uh, and the spinal health and wherein I had like L4, L5 kind of degeneration. And immediately I got like a posture uh, device. I got a knee chair. I got a standing desk. I never would have even thought about that, right? Like I hadn't, it wasn't even in my concept. And so, you know, that, that's a bit more anecdotal, but I think it's it's so powerful to think about like, okay, I now have insights into something which if I change course now will not become an acute or chronic condition. Uh, whereas yeah, I, if I didn't, I'd be, I'd be stuffed. Yeah, I mean, just a real-time example. Um, we raised, uh, we were raising some money um, for the business a year and a half ago, and I get imaged all the time. And I've seen my, I saw my spine go from normal curvature to abnormal straightening just because of the stress of having to speak to all these investors and raise money. And I, you know, I'm actually speaking to you from a, a treadmill desk now. And, uh, you know, and it was incredible. It only took two or three months to get that curvature back to normal. So you can imagine, like, if that's a, if you, if you have chronic stress and chronically bad posture, you can see how that so quickly can affect um, uh, spine curvature. So, 
so for me, it was like a real-time reminder and I get images all the time. So I I get some really good real-time feedback of um, how my lifestyle is impacting my body. I'd say one thing I want to double click on, um, you mentioned Peter Tia. I mean, Peter Tia is a, for those that know him, he's a freak of nature. I mean, he's, uh, I I think he's got 0% body fat. Um, The thing that I I think is, you know, and, and the biohacker community is full of people that are, you know, you might think that their full-time job is looking after their health sometimes with all the things that they're doing. But I think what's really important um, for the listener to understand is that many of these interventions are actually quite basic and they're sort of 80, 20 on this, Um, you know, good posture, um, exercise, walking, um, uh, you know, sleep, uh, Mediterranean diet are pretty easy to follow. Um, And even Peter Tia has a, he has a sort of a J curve analysis, where, you know, there's a certain amount of exercise. Once you sort of exceed that, actually it starts to sort of have a negative impact on longevity. So, um, you know, so this is, I think these interventions are accessible to many people, not just sort of the extreme end of that community. Yeah. I think that's a good point to, to double click on. I feel like I, I actually experienced that this week. So I, one of my goals for this year, which was part of my, my commitment to the pre novo process was I, I really want to take my health to the next level. And, you know, so other diagnostic tools that I just got was I got the aura ring and I've got the Apple watch uh, perfect. No, but like insightful. Yes. And I've been doing two a days. So yoga and hit training. And yesterday was like, even though I felt like working out again, my, my it showed me, no, actually your HRV is like totally skewed. You've been pushing it more. And like, exercise now will be counterproductive, right? So like I actually gave myself rest and like took an extra nice sleep and it totally reset. And I think that's where we now have these these insights and these guides that can help us in this creation of, uh, of sort of optimal living for health span. You mentioned a couple different uh, inputs. I'd love for you to actually talk about that, like Mediterranean diet, sleep. What are some of the core tenants or pillars that that you believe are really central to optimizing for health span? Well, it turns out that actually the interventions are um, sort of reasonably well understood. Maybe it's worth speaking about them in the context of the brain. I think, I think that would be something I'm sure. I would love that. For you. So, um, you know, there's always been two prevailing thoughts of, about, you know, what causes cognitive decline. And one has been the buildup of amyloid. So it's sort of a garbage uh, recycling issue, uh, you know, to be pedestrian about it. And the other one is really it's a plumbing issue. It's a, it's a, it's a vascularity problem. So it's about blood flow to the brain. And um, more, I would say that was always, the two camps are always more or less equal but most recently, I think the evidence is pointing towards it being more likely to be a vascular problem. And so like a problem of blood flow to the brain. And uh, we're actually doing a lot of research at Pranuva. We're just kicking off in our LA facility some really cool research where we're doing some additional functional imaging of the brain to um, identify some of the early indications of perfusion problems, which are microbleeds, um, uh, using a, a a very very sensitive imaging sequence that's not really used out there very often, other than a research setting, and the idea is to be able to identify this early enough so that those interventions, um, although easy to make, are obviously much easier to do earlier in your life. Um, and I think there's be, there's been some research out of Stanford University by uh, Professor Longo, who actually looked at the impact of Mediterranean diet and um, exercise on amyloid levels and on blood perfusion and in the brain. And 
and they expect it to be able to address uh, basically arrest uh, cognitive decline. But what they found was that they're actually able to reduce amyloid levels and increase blood perfusion to the brain. So, so the earlier you get it, the 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 belief is now that the earlier you understand that this process is happening, um, and the earlier you make the interventions, the hope is that um, you know you know you can uh, you can stop this uh, cognitive decline process from happening. Wow. That's profound. I feel like um, that was actually, I just watched Limitless, the series. I don't know if you, if you, if you watched that at all, but um, it was with Chris Helmsworth, of course, you know, massive A-list actor and, um, and Peter Tia was the medical counselor. And during that testing process that he actually pulled uh, two uh, APO4 alleles, which, which if you have those, generally speaking, um, you're, you're up, they say approximate about nine times more likely to get some, uh, a condition like Alzheimer's. And, but now with, with knowing those things, you can alter course by, by taking those epigenetic, you know, markers more seriously and, and changing your habits, your diet, your lifestyle, et cetera. And, and, and sort of in, in a way changing your future, right? Like it, it's a little bit like, you know, if you, if you, if you didn't have that tool, you probably would have gone with your default way of living, which could have had, you know, existential threat down the track. But in a way, now we have a way of preventing even that course. It's it's like when I was a kid, we had a book called Choose Your Own Adventure. And it, it kind of like you would alter the conclusion based on which direction you went. And I feel like now we're in this really wild uh, period in time and history where where we can actually alter the conclusion of our story in, in very, very powerful ways. Yeah. And in fact, we're, um, I would say that this is probably the most active area of research um, that we're involved in right now, because when folks come in, they're um, the number one question is, "Do I have cancer?" Yes mm. or no. Yeah. And then when we answer the question no. The second question, by far, is, "How's my brain?" Look? And mm. you know, what can we learn from that? And uh, and and we, the imaging that we do of the brain, um, we now have the largest database of um, what we call like quote unquote normal brains in the world because some of these imaging sequences are typically only done on people with very advanced Alzheimer's. And the hope is from brain volume, we can start to, certainly not from any one image because everyone's brain, like their hat size is pretty unique. Um, and we have higher functioning people that have brains that look a little bit smaller than you would expect. And other people have big brains and may not impact, impact their cognitive um, performance. But what's really important is to be able to look at your brain over two points in time. And to be able to understand as we age, our brain, our brain shrink, but how, what's the rate of shrinkage of your brain relative to the average person? And in particular, what, how are different regions of the brain shrinking? Because we're very, very interested in shrinking in the, um, in the hippocampal area, which is where you see the early signs of dementia um, before other regions of the brain. And then, and then on top of that, this research, uh, this functional research that we're undertaking hopes to even peel back earlier um, the identification of um, of uh, potential early cognitive decline, so that we can do something about it earlier. Wow. So, so would you? I mean, I I intend to get scanned again. Uh, I don't know what the uh, you know recommended duration is, but I imagine. What's powerful is I now have that scan on me at all times. It's, it, it lives in my cell phone and I can, you know, I'm, I have an appointment with my primary care provider. I'm going to take that there. But 
I imagine if you were to incorporate tools like this over the course of you know a decade, um, you would have um, markers by which you could really establish things like that, right? For cognitive health, it, what is my is my brain shrinking? If so, at, w- at what health and at, at what rate? Excuse me, and to what degree relative to other people? Um, is that a concern or not a concern? Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know also I would imagine that the AI aspect and the fact that you're creating, you're going to have all this database will also give you greater insights into predictions and also hopefully tr- various treatment models um, that that data will afford. I mean, how, how are you thinking about this uh, in terms of long-term diagnostics as well as treatment? Well, where AI is really great is... Um... You know, radiology is a very qualitative field. So what I mean by this is we could show your images to two different radiologists and they might give you slightly different results. Now, the expectation is they both catch a cancer if you had it, but like one of them might say your liver fat, you you might have mild fatty liver and someone else might say that you have moderate fatty liver. It's just very, very qualitative. And where AI is great is taking this qualitative field and making it quantitative. So rather than say you have mild fatty liver, we can say, hey, your liver fat percentage was 2.37% last time you got a scan. And this time you got a scan, it was like 3.12%. So I don't know what you've been doing over the last year, but something is not good there. Um, Your liver fat is going in the wrong direction. And again, by being more precise, you can really um, learn the sort of the trajectory a lot earlier so you can do something about it. And so we're using AI really to look at every single organ and starting to understand um, how does the, in a quantitative sense, how's the health of this organ look relative to the population of tens of thousands of people that we've scanned and start to give you insights into, okay, your brain looks great. You have the brain of a 40-year-old and you're 60 years old, let's say, but you know your liver uh, you know, looks like a seven-year-old or your kidneys might look like a 50-year-old. And so you can start really, you know, obviously that can help target the interventions that you might make to your lifestyle um, to help improve that health span. This is po- powerful. And, and and have you found now that people are taking this information to their practitioners and, and what are the ways in which you're seeing kind of this data being used most effectively? Well, to be honest, the sort of people that are interested um, in the, in the service at the moment tend to be sort of early adopters. So these are folks that, you know, might be already wearing Oura rings or, um, you know, wearing from time to time continuous glucose monitors or, you know, have an Apple Watch. And so I would say that um, the type of person that for which this service resonates is someone that already is sort of trying to be in control of their health. Yeah. Um, But secondarily, as a company, one of our philosophies from the very beginning was that we wanted to provide information to empower people to take control. Because our own experiences with the health system um, often left us with not enough information about what we could do. Um, and, uh, and, and so we wanted to provide our patients with as much as we could. So we don't only tell people what's there, but we give them advice and recommendations about what we think would be the right course of action. And that might sound obvious, but that's not how medicine usually works. No, it, it it isn't how medicine usually works, unfortunately. Um, but I but I agree. I think it'll be interesting to see if this can become accessible to more and more people. Obviously, the price has come dramatically down over the years, um, but but it still um, can be you know 
it's an investment. I mean, it's interesting. It's all, I guess it comes relative to value, right? People don't have an issue dropping, you know, 40, 50, 60 grand on a fancy car, but, uh, but they may not look at their health with the same, same eyes. Um, I, I don't know um, to the degree to which various, obviously there's so many different healthcare providers, health insurances. I imagine though, that like if someone had an HSA or a health savings account, which if you live in the state of California, you know, could save you. Say you did a, a $2,000 scan, $2,500 scan, you know, you, you, that on the pre-tax money, that's, that's already, you're already saving near a thousand dollars in terms of if you, if you paid for it through your HSA, but have you found, I mean, I'm guessing most of your patients now are currently paying out of pocket. I know that it's dramatically less expensive than it used to be um, from the pragmatic, like for people who would want to do a scan, do you have any thoughts or strategies around ways to approach it? Is it, is it an out-of-pocket expense in all circumstances? Um, and I do know that you gracefully have offered me to be able to provide my community with a pretty substantial uh, $300 discount, which I'm very grateful for. And just for the record, there's no financial benefit in it for me. It's simply you're out of the good graciousness of your heart. You guys are offering that out. But can you talk a little bit about the pragmatics? Because I'm sure many people listening would be interested in uh, in getting a scan. Yeah, so, um, you know, we encourage people to, uh, and most of our members get scans every year or two. So for a healthy young person, um, the idea would be to get a scan every two years. Mm -hmm. um, the first scan is probably the most scary because it's the equivalent of going to the dentist, not having been for, you know, the last five years. The chances that we might catch something that's been there for a while obviously is much higher. But, you know, like the dentist, the idea is that you go routinely. And if you go routinely, the hope, is that you can then kind of live a life without um, fear of a late stage diagnosis. Um, and I think for, that's the reason why I'm doing this, frankly, is that that's a, you know, I found my quality of life increase a lot, just not having to guess whether a pain or a headache or something that was bothering me was, you know, something that was potentially very serious. Um, $2,500 every two years is, you know, probably how much someone might spend on Starbucks. Um, so again, it's a question of priorities, um, uh, but it's it's not really a lot of money for having a lot of insight into and then essentially an encyclopedic insight into your health. We do do financing and some people take advantage of that. And we do accept HSA and FSA and, and a lot of folks use that, particularly around the end of the year when they realize they have money that they haven't used. Um, and then finally, we provide people with a super bill. This is a special term. It's like a very detailed bill that they can then take to their insurance company to get some reimbursement. Um, I don't, some people get a lot reimbursed. Some people get very little. It's kind of going to be a function of the insurance company and the plan and, um, and you know, but, but unfortunately a lot of insurance companies don't cover preventative screening of any type. Um, and that's why we have very little preventive health in our health system. Yeah, I I don't have any vested interest, but I I signed up for uh, uh, an HSA called I think Lively Lively Co I believe if you Google Lively, uh, really super easy and um, and again no no I have no relationship with them. It's just to say I think for those who are not familiar uh, or do not yet have an HSA, go deep on the research. But I, I feel like having this kind of a scan um as part of your overall health routine i mean for me it's going to become essential so this will not be this will be not be my my last scan by any stretch and in fact i think having having that base insight like you said 
there were things that I I honestly like were causing me a, kind of an underlying the cognition, honestly, the cancers, you know, I had COVID twice. There were, there, you know, questions when I'd have a cough of like, did I do I have permanent damage? You know, like there were things that were causing me acute levels of anxiety, to be frank. And like after having the scan and knowing that that is not gratefully uh, something of concern, it's massively increased uh, my my mindset as well as my quality of life. So I, I would say I am profoundly grateful for what you are creating and definitely want to to support it where where are your locations um i know you're expanding i know i went to the la uh office where where are you located yeah so we have clinics right now in vancouver canada in silicon valley in los angeles in dallas in minneapolis and uh, just outside of miami and boca raton and we're about to open Open, uh, or this year we'll open locations in New York, uh, Chicago, Boston, Washington, D.C., and Atlanta. Uh, and then we're beyond that looking for additional locations. So hopefully that get, that there's a location there that's not too far away from most of your listeners. Um, and, uh, and every one of those facilities are, as you will have experienced, they're not like a regular medical facility. They're a little bit more feel a little bit like more like a spa and the machines that we use. Uh, a lot of people have done an MRI in a hospital setting and it can be a very claustrophobic experience. These are very open. Um, you spend a lot of time outside with your head outside of the machine. And then we, we show streaming uh, television inside there. So uh, people watch a show and uh, the biggest complaint we get these days is that they don't quite get the chance to finish the one, you know, like the 55 minute show before the scan is over. Um, which is what you want to hear. Um, uh, and uh, and so it is a different experience to what you expect in a hospital. Yeah, it's a fundamentally different experience. I've had an MRI in the hospital and uh, and I had an MRI at Prenuvo and it was definitely more of a spa experience. Like had my proper espresso, you know, snacks, uh, watch my Netflix. It was a very comfortable experience. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I'm looking for, I'm honestly looking forward to doing it again. So very, very grateful to you, Andrew is uh, prenuvo.com. Um, we're going to do a discount code. You guys have already set up for my audience, uh, which is, uh, prenuvo.com, uh, backslash peak mind. Or if you call into the office, which some people likely will, cause they may have questions. You already have a great FAQ section on the site, but you can mention peak mind for that discount. Um, is there is there anything else you'd want to share in regards to, you know, um, you know, final thoughts as as we as we close out the show? Uh, I mean, I think we covered a lot of topics. Uh, to be honest, it's um, it's just really exciting to be sort of to be working on something that's uh, really having such a positive impact on people's lives, and the team is there willing to help answer questions that folks have. Um, if this test is a right is, is a good test for them, then we put them in. If there are other things that might be more appropriate, then we really help connect people with other tests. Um, uh, and just really excited to be, I think, part of what is now a growing interest in preventive health and uh, and really sort of changing the health paradigm. Yeah, I, I want to 
just acknowledge you because I think we have such, we need a, a basically a revolution in preventative me- medicine. I mean, we, we, for too long, I think treated a symptom uh, rather than, than a more holistic version of, of the, of the human being. And, and we need a mass movement around prevention. And I feel like this, this diagnostic tool, at least for me was uh, truly life-changing, not, not, not hyperbole. Like I, I feel like, I I wanted to declare to myself that health was uh, my central priority, and it's easy to say that. Uh, but when I I took the when I took the scan for me, it was a declaration. And you know, every day since I've I've been doing meditation, breath work. Uh, I'm about to go to hit training literally in in, a, in an hour. Uh, I've been doing yoga every day. And uh, granted, that's a it's also January first. Like I'm going hard on it, but. I just think for anyone listening, you know, there there is nothing more valuable than your health, right? Um, quality health and time ahead of, of you, you, you've won the lottery. And so, you know, we often forget that. And it, it's beautiful to chase chase our dreams, but you know, all it takes is 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 for us to to sort of lose our good health for us to realize that, you know, I, what's the adage? It's something like you've got a thousand problems until you have a health crisis, and then you realize you only have one. Um, and so it's, it's pretty powerful when you can provide tools to help people avert that crisis. So uh, I'm grateful to you, Andrew. Well, I think this is the, I mean, this is the ministry that you're actively doing, to be honest. It's the single biggest problem that we have as a, is, you know, convincing people that just because they feel okay today doesn't mean that they shouldn't actually get a check, get checked out. Um, and that's, I think the, it's the biggest weakness in preventive health. Is it something that you can always put off to another day? But it's January, it's a new year, and it's time to really uh, focus in on this. That's it. All right, my people. Thank you, Andrew. I really appreciate your time. Everyone listening, uh, go check out prenuvo.com. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, mention uh, Peak Mind, and you'll get a three hundred, very gracious $300 off of your scan. Thank you so much. No worries. Nice to be here. Thanks, Michael.